Kale, that was incredible. Thank you. <laughs> Bobby had very specific instructions about where I should stand for the camera, and am I good? And I, he, then it was like, and if you move around and stuff and stuff, and I'm definitely going to move around, and, and so just there's your warning. Um, I make no promises to stay in the camera. Uh, I'm super excited to be here um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's great to worship Jesus together with other saints and other neighborhoods. Um, it was so fun to be here led by the worship team. Thank you. Um, also, I lived on Montana Street for a summer uh, 10 years ago. I've been in Chicago 12 years this week. I went to Moody Bible Institute, so every time I hear the Jets, I'm like, ah, yes, this week. So it's been 12 years. Uh, I lived a summer here. So I was driving around this morning. I was like, this was here? I could have come here that summer? Um, but I've been in Humble Park now for 10 years, uh, married with three children, uh, five, four, and one and a half the one-and-a-half-year-old who's currently sick and was up in the middle of the night. So if I start to just trail off mid-message, give me, give me grace, and, and you can come back next week and hear Bobby, as Kale mentioned. Um, so also I've been pastoring for coming up on three years, and I just want to let you know that your pastor here, Pastor Bobby, um, is amazing. And I'm so grateful to be on a team with him. He's one of those people that I'll give a call to and be like, Bobby, I need your wisdom. Here's what's going on. Please talk to me. And then just generally enjoy being around him. He's one of those people who are like, I enjoy following Jesus with you, with your family. Um, so I'm really grateful for him and Jeanette and their, their presence on our team pastorally. Uh, and one other reason that I'm excited to be here, and this just happened like as I was standing back there, is there's someone with a Bobby Witt Jr. jersey on this morning. Most of you are like, I have no idea who that is. He's an amazing baseball player that plays on a team that almost nobody knows. And so I was like, I am at church with someone wearing a Bobby Witt Jr. jersey. Praise the Lord. I like baseball a lot. So thank you for, for wearing that this morning. Um, let's, let's stand and read some scripture first. And not all of these verses are on the slide. So I'm actually just going to have you open your Bibles or your phones to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be reading from verse 35 through 45, but we're going to be focusing on the last five verses primarily. So Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. We're going through a series called Life Together, uh, based loosely off of uh, a book by the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. During the time of World War II, he wound up actually giving his life for the faith and passionate about how we do life together as believers. Mark chapter 10, again, verses 35 through 45. And it reads like this. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit given to us. And we want to follow your lead and your direction this morning, God. Minister to us, God, as we look at your word. Shape us into your image, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I also uh, want to introduce a guest this morning, virtually, um, and his name is Patrick, the pufferfish. There he is. Yeah, he's, he's a cool little guy. I have no relationship with him whatsoever. I found him on the, the internet. Um, maybe you've had a pufferfish in your fish tank or something, but one of the cool things about pufferfish is that when they feel threatened in their aquatic community, they have a defense mechanism. And they can take in water and they can take in air to expand like three times their size, to appear really great, uh, to remain secure so that other dangerous fish leave them alone. They want to expand and grow. It's, it's pretty cool. I, I like that a lot. We know other fish, I don't have a picture of them, but other fish do like the opposite. They just hide down in the sand so that no one can see them. That's their defense mechanism in the aquatic community. And I mentioned Patrick, and if anyone's here named Patrick, I'm so sorry. I hope that you're not bothered you share the name with the fish this morning. But I mention this because this text this morning comes in a moment where the community around Jesus is definitely feeling threatened. Uh, just prior to the passage that we read, Jesus announces for the third time that where they are going, as they're going to Jerusalem, is going to lead to his death, uh, to his burial, to his resurrection. And the disciples are hearing this, and just like the second time when he said it, they respond in a certain way. They're feeling the threat. They're feeling that there's something coming at their community. And we see James and John responding in this really bold way. And I don't know about you, but as I read this text and as I sit in this text, it feels very awkward. God bless you. It feels very awkward. There's like this tension going on, right? Like, these guys are just asking Jesus, can you do for us whatever we want? And then you got the other ten all angry at them. I remember growing up, and there'd be times you'd be hanging out with your friends, like fellow teenagers, and I don't know if you've had this happen, but you'd be in conversation, and a parent would be around, and there'd be some tension between that parent and the friend. And then they would, like, look at you to resolve the tension. Like, what do you think? Should I be able to stay out? You're like, whoa, whoa, this is not, like, I just want to get out of here, right? Maybe you've experienced this. Or as you grow older, sometimes, like, couples do this. And because I'm not your location pastor, I can speak more freely because I don't really know any of you. Um, maybe this is you. But I'll be honest, like, when a couple is talking with you and they're like, and what do you guys think? It's like, oh, I don't think whatsoever. Um, like, I just want to get out of here, right? Um, there is some communication that needs to, to happen, and I'm not part of it. Um, and I feel that way with this text. It's like, 
I don't even want to be listening in. It's awkward because James and John just had this request, Jesus, can you do whatever you want? You're going to go die, rise again, and I want you to do whatever I want. Praise the Lord. Are we good? It's like, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? It's awkward. It's an awkward situation. It's also an awkward situation because I think if we listen closely to the text and their requests, and if we listen closely to our own heart, we know that we would probably have a similar request. And we wouldn't readily acknowledge this, right? We wouldn't want to say, like, of course I'm not going to ask Jesus this. Like, can you do whatever I want? And then can I be great in your kingdom right and left? But I think if we're honest with ourselves, on the best of days, maybe not. But definitely when we start feeling the threat of a new semester or a deadline due tomorrow or housing situation or like I don't know when you the stress starts to rise and you begin to default into how do I experience security in this moment Jesus can you do whatever we want what, what do you want? I want to appear great. I want to be able to make decisions and people respond. Or maybe you're the opposite. You're like, I just want to hide and not do anything. Like, I just don't want to be noticed or involved. Like, I just want to shrink back. But Jesus, can you do whatever I want so that I can experience security in the midst of this threat? If we listen to the text, it's this awkward situation, both in the life of the community around Jesus. And we're like, man, and even in our own souls. I don't want to be that way, Jesus. But we know that we have desires that are not perfectly aligned in the will of God. So we come to him, Jesus, help us. And I praise God that he does. Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And we say, rightfully so. Man, I can't believe they just made that request. But then Jesus gets their attention. It says in verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and it, I like to imagine when I read scripture, I find it very life-giving to try to think of the situation. I'm just curious how Jesus got their attention. Like, they spent a lot of time together. Did he just use, like, a tone? You know, that tone that you use with your children? Or, like, like boys? And they're like, Jesus is talking. Or, like, did he, like, give them a whistle? Like, I, I don't know how he spoke into the situation where they're clearly combative, but he gets their attention. And he speaks so clearly into the situation. It says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That is, have a posture where they stand above. Like just two steps here and all of a sudden I'm like, now I'm lording over you. I love that this is down here. I like to be at the same level. Lording over. And their great ones exercise authority over them. The great ones, they get to have others meet their needs. What they want, what they need, becomes others' responsibility, concern. I, I think about this, and I think about the situation in my life, season of my life, where I experience like an authority structure unlike any other authority structure I've experienced, and that was working at a restaurant. I worked at a restaurant for 10 years in Chicago. It was really nice. It was a Michelin star restaurant and so much fun and like just 
an incredible time. And when I started, I had only ever worked at the Olive Garden back in Wisconsin. And in the town I was from, that was like, that was a decent place, you know? And so I started and first night talking with the chef, I quickly learned like, this is a different situation. I asked him like, should I call you by your first name or should I call you chef? He's like, you'll, you'll call me chef. Um, but I remember learning the authority structure there. And I'll say like, I have the utmost respect chef. I consider him a friend and learned so much from him. He's an amazing, amazing chef and human being. Um, but I remember this one night as I was a food runner next to him. It was a busy Saturday and something was wrong with the butter that we were supposed to take out to people. You know when you go out and you get like bread and butter sometimes to begin? Something was wrong with the butter. And it's like 5.15 and guests are like pouring in and I'm just so grateful that I'm not in charge or anything. I'm like, We'll just see what happens. Um, and I remember Chef just saying, like, what happened with the butter? And someone's like, Chef, this is what happened. And he's like, I need 200 pieces of butter stamped now. And you know how the person responded? They responded the same way they respond to every request. Yes, Chef. Yes, Chef. And I got to live around this day in and day out. And it's incredible. Like, I don't want to say this is like a horrible way. Like, it's, it's incredible. There's a structure there of like, we need things done. Yes, chef. Boom. Yes, chef. But I'll be honest, this doesn't work well in other areas of life. Like, at, at home, I quickly learned in my marriage that when my stress rose, when I had days where I was like, I need this done, and that was such an influence on my life, I was like, I just need this, and I'm not hearing yes, chef. You know, praise the Lord, that's not my wife. I'm glad she doesn't relate to me in that way. She's like, well, what's going on? No, I have needs too, you know. But this is a way that we see around us of exercising authority where others' needs or wants becomes our priority. Maybe it's at your job, someone that you work for, and it's like, hey, where's my coffee this morning? It's like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Maybe you're that person. Right? Where your wants, your needs, why aren't there groceries in the fridge? That's your responsibility because there's so much going on and there's so much stress on the horizon and I need you to, to meet my needs and I need you to meet my wants and this is in so many areas of our lives. So many areas. When we look at our schedule, when we look at our sexual needs and our partner and you're like, I need you to, to meet my needs and we begin to live in such a way of what they describe as the Gentiles, the way of the world, which I would describe as this, where we use others to meet our needs and achieve security. Greatness of the world is where we use others to meet our needs and achieve security. When that threat is on the horizon, that stress rises, and you're like, I just need someone to do X, Y, and Z and to do it now. Where what I want is someone else's priority and concern. But Jesus, praise God, gives us a better word. He says in verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So if the greatness of the world uses others to meet our needs and achieve security, I would say that greatness in the kingdom, in the, under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, serves others out of a place of security. 
that is, interacts with others and their needs and their wants in such a way that that becomes a priority in our life, and we do that out of a place of security. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't contrast this by saying, like, you shouldn't even want to be great. Like, you shouldn't even desire greatness. James and John, what are you thinking, asking for this? But he knows that you and I, beloved, were made in the image of God. We were made to rule and reign, to have dominion on the earth under the rule and reign of Jesus. You and I were created to have a desire for significance. We're made in the image of God. Barbara Brown Taylor puts it this way, the church exists so that God has a community in which to save people from meaningless by reminding them who they are and what they are for. The answer isn't to say, like, don't you realize that you're nothing, you're a sinner, you're, you shouldn't even desire greatness. The answer is say, you're made in the image of God. Let me tell you where greatness is found. In the world, it's by your wants and your needs becoming a priority for someone else. In the kingdom, it's actually the opposite, where others' needs and their wants become a priority for you. But if we don't recognize that this is coming from a place of security and not trying to achieve security, then we are quickly going to burn out. Quickly going to burn out. What I mean is that if you say, okay, this is how I become great in this church, and if you're a student, maybe this is your first week, praise God, we're so happy that you're here. Maybe you're returning, welcome home, we're excited that you're here. But if you're like, man, what does it take to belong in this church, in a New Life Community Church in Lincoln Park? What does it take to be a part of these people? And you hear this, you go, you know what I need to do? I need to serve a lot. I need to be here on Sunday morning serving, and I need to midweek serving. And if I do that, then I'll belong. But what you're doing is you're saying, no, I'm going to like meet these needs and these wants in an attempt to gain security. So you'll be doing all of this, trying to experience security, when Jesus is saying, that's, that's, you're actually doing this out of a place of security. And Jesus uh, pictures this for us beautifully in John chapter 13. A few days after this text, on the night that he was betrayed, as the disciples gather around to, to share in Passover, John 13 begins with this really interesting description of what Jesus is about to do, which is to wash their feet. It says this in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Hear that security in the midst of such a threatening situation, and he knows it. Knew that he had come from God, that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself. And, and we know the story. He washes the disciples' feet, modeling for them, this is how you were to live your life. Out of a place of security, meeting others' needs and their wants, serving one another, becoming a slave to all. I had a prophet at Moody Bible Institute he would say, you know, saints, when you go to bed, remind yourself you're a saint. 
He was from Boston, so he had an accent that I'm not going to try to mimic. But when you go to bed, remind yourself that, head, your pill, that your head hits the pillow. You're a saint. You belong to Jesus Christ because of grace, through faith. But when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, remember you're a servant. This is how you are to live your life. You go to bed, you're a saint. You wake up in the morning, you're a servant. That's always stuck with me as just a, a great rhythm of our day. But I want us to talk for a moment uh, about some of the assumptions that we can have about serving. Because if you're like me and you read this text, you go, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. First among you must be slave of all. Like, this just isn't realistic. How can I possibly live my life just meeting people's needs all the time? How? How is that? that it's ridiculous. And we say, Jesus... Sorry, you don't really know what you're talking about, and we carry on with our life. But I think it's because we carry a lot of assumptions about what serving looks like, what serving means, what Jesus is saying here. And the first assumption that I want to address is that we think that physical needs are the most important. Uh, what I mean by that is someone calls you and they're like, I'm moving this weekend and I don't have anyone to help me out. Can you, can you help me move this weekend? And you're like, called to serve, and I had this plan with my family, but here's a need, and we should, we should meet it, and maybe you should, and, and, and maybe you will. Um, but we think that that, or let me give financially to this need, and there's need all around us all the time. You're like, I I'm going to be broke if I'm constantly meeting need. So we think that like those sorts of needs are the most important, and we miss out on the simple fact that you and I need lots of other things, like a listening ear. Someone at the end of the day or the middle of the day, I'm like, I'm going through a situation. I have no one to talk to. I just need another human being. And I find neurology and the gospel so interesting that what happens in your brain and in your heart and soul when you are talking with someone else who can say, oh, I hear you. Let me pray for you. We have spiritual needs, the need for community, the need to be doing life together. You say, man, I, I don't have to come to church this Sunday because I'm not serving. It's like, whoa, but that's not the only thing that we, why we come to church. We come to, to be around one another, to proclaim and worship together that Jesus is our Lord and he is coming back and collectively our hope is set on him. We need one another to, 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 to do things beyond just the physical needs. Another assumption that we have is that some people have needs, when in actuality, everyone has needs. Part of the beautiful part of being human, being made in the image of God, is that we have more needs than we can meet on our own. And we highly dislike this as an individualistic society. We try to like curate our lives so that we can meet all of our needs on our own because we don't want to rely on other people. But we have more needs than we can meet on our own. And that's the way it's supposed to be because we need other people in our life. Jesus is saying this not just to James and John. He's saying this to the entire community of disciples around him. So there might be some who are like, I just want to be in the background, and I don't even want to be on your right or left, Jesus. This is great. He said, no, I need you to step up and to serve. And others, like James and John, I want to be up here. He said, no, you got to come down here. This is the, the, the place in the kingdom where we all serve one another. And let me share another aspect of this is that there are times where you are the person who has needs. 
And this gets into like why this is such a beautiful way of living life. If we think that, oh, some people have needs, then we typically say that's somebody else who has needs, and I'm constantly needing. But if we say, no, all of us have needs, and it is our role as followers of Jesus, as a community where we meet each other's needs. This is how we do life together. And you say, hey, this is a moment where, man, I need a listening ear. Man, I need help moving this weekend. Please help me in the community of believers. Like, we've got you. Another assumption is that I couldn't possibly be proud or desiring worldly greatness if I'm always meeting other people's needs. Like, what do you mean I'm conceited or proud? Look at me. I'm doing all of this for the church, and I'm constantly meeting other people's needs, and I'm doing everything my spouse wants and my kids want and my boss wants. I'm doing everything everyone wants, and what do you mean that I could possibly be proud in that situation? Don't you see me serving everyone when in actuality we're using other people's needs and meeting those needs as a way of propping ourselves up? Look at me. I'm meeting needs all the time. I'm like the servant servant of them all. Like, here am I. When again, it's out of that place of security, knowing, man, I am loved by God. I belong because he has set his gaze on me and acted on my behalf. It's like Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. The last assumption that I want to address is that serving others infringes on our own enjoyment of life. Meeting others' needs and meeting others' wants is going to cause me to have a limited experience of the abundant life. I think about this especially like with my three children and what I want for them and what I want for us as a family. And if we're meeting others' needs, then that means I can't always do what they want. And now they're having less of a fun day and all of these things. And there's, a, there's an extent to which if you are constantly meeting others' needs in an unhealthy manner, it is going to, like I said, lead to burnout and be very problematic. But Jesus, he's our example here. He is the one who knows how to live the abundant life more than any of us. He said, I've come that they might have life and life abundantly. And and our text this morning closes with the reason. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if this is the way that Jesus lived, where our needs, our wants, our our desperate need to belong to him was a primary concern for him in the way he lived his life, then that tells me this is the area where I am going to experience the Spirit of God the most. That I'm not going to experience the Spirit of God at the same level up here just being great all the time. You do what I want and you do what I want. The Spirit of God is not about that. But Jesus is saying it's down here meeting others' needs. Say, like, hey, can I grab you a cup of coffee? You look like you're about to have a super stressful day. I got you. Like, man, you need a listening ear? I'm here for you. This is the place where the Spirit of God is most lively, right? So how do we possibly know that? Because this is how Jesus lived his life. The Spirit of Jesus loves to do the same thing through you through me, through a community of believers, this is the place where we experience the abundant life more than anywhere else. 
I love being a part of New Life Community Church, and I love the, the pathos of like, it takes all of us chipping in, doing our part, figuring out by the Spirit of God, what's our gifting, what's our call? We need everyone. And I love that you're having a block party in a couple of weeks. Um, and I was thinking of the block party that we had on our block, um, not in front of the church, but in front of my home uh, last weekend. And it's really a story of two block parties. There's the block party in front of our house and a block party like a block away. And uh, it was our first year time doing it in 15 years. And the group of us that were planning it were really hoping that people would just come out and engage and like make their own food and be a part of it. And that everyone would not only feel like they could come, but that they could be a part of it, like they had something to offer. And it was amazing. We were walking out there, and there's neighbors I had never met who had been there like 10 years, and we've been on that block for seven, and you're interacting, and people are coming out, and people are like making their favorite food. There was this moment where I was walking, and I'd already eaten so much. It was, it was an incredible day with so much food, um, and I saw this lady just carrying a tray of something delicious, and I said, hey, what, what is that? She's like, that's banana pudding. I was like, <laughs> She's like, you want some? Yes, please. Thank you. Who are you? Um, Priscilla. I live on 2053. I was like, Priscilla, so nice to meet you. Um, and it was incredible because in that moment, I'm meeting Priscilla, and I'm also clearly engaging in something that Priscilla is passionate about, banana pudding. And it was amazing. I don't even like banana desserts. I don't think bananas should be removed from the dessert options, except all of a sudden this. Wait, I'm getting strong yeses and noes in the same moment. Lord help us. And yeah, okay. I'll let you two <laughs> work through that later, elders, and pray for them. Um, but it was amazing, and there were so many moments. These people were making meat and rice and beans. You want a plate? Uh, at the end of the day, like I experienced the block. People who live and belong there, sharing their passion and who they are in so many different ways. And the block party near us yesterday, um, and this is not to throw shade on them, but it's definitely throwing shade on them, uh, they all just send money to one lady to do everything. They all give her the money, and she's supposed to provide all the food and the bounce house and all of that. And it's just so sad. It's like, wait, that's not, that's not like a lively, fun way of doing it. You're not experiencing fellow image bearers in the way that they're meant to be related to. And I love that vision for who we are as a church, that all of us belong. All of us have been seen by Jesus Christ and said, yes, I want you. Come follow. Come follow. So you can be secure in your belonging and serving out of that in ways that people say, like, man, you have a real gift in this area. Right? We can look at others and we can compare and say, man, I'm not as good as, I think it was Mark on the guitar, or I don't have as great of a voice, or all these things. I'm not that person. That's, that's great. Who are you? What has God given you to, to provide to the block of the church, if you will? So even when you think about the block party on September 10th, like maybe you're like, you know what? I can make some mean guacamole or whatever. You're like, I'm going to bring that. Bring it. It's an expression of who you are. Maybe you're like, man, I can stack chairs like nobody else. Come stack and set up chairs. Like, do that like, because this is how we serve one another. That's just a small example. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up.
as we close and as we think about how we are to do life together and how we are to do life together in the context of stress and threats and times where like, I just need this now and Jesus speaking that word of saying, this is what life looks like in the kingdom. I want to pose three questions for you to consider. Especially as you think of this week and how you are to, to live life together this week. The first question is this, how can I meet someone's need this week? Again, not solely physical needs. How can I meet someone's need this week? Not everyone's, someone's need this week. The second one is this, how can I help someone else identify and meet someone's needs this week? So you're not just thinking, I need to meet everyone's needs. Actually, we look out for one another and you're like, that person isn't involved. And I know that being involved in serving one another is where you experience life. You know what? I'm going to refrain from meeting that need and I'm going to ask that person to do it. It's how we do life together. How can I help someone else identify and meet someone's needs this week? And the last one is probably, if you're like me, the most challenging. And so I'd have you linger the longest on this question. What need do I have that someone else can meet? What area of my life do I feel like I can't do this on my own? And so much around us says, well, you should. You should figure it out or you should command someone or this but you say no like I, I need help it's highly discomforting right but the beauty of living life this way is that this is how we regularly experience grace day in and day out week in and week out where we're not just serving other people but we're also saying man I need help I need a listening ear I feel like I'm going down you, you pastor, you're supposed to, no, 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 that's not what it means to, to pastor and shepherd. It doesn't mean, no, no, it means I need help too. Can you pray for me? Hey, I need a babysitter. Can you, like, living in that place allows you to experience grace from the community around you. And in so doing, experience grace from our God who loves, loves, loves to have you experience grace. He gave his life as a ransom. He loves when we experience the abundant life that he has for us. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we love you. We confess that In our own hearts, we want to be fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus. And on our best days, we might almost be there, but on our worst days, we might be partially or not even mostly devoted followers of Jesus, where we say, no, I actually need other people to, 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 to do all this. Bah, 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 bah. And Jesus, we acknowledge that we are the people who are loved by you, saved by you, filled by your Holy Spirit, who are guided by, to your streams and your pastures and to your abundant life, God. 
So we ask for your help, Jesus, as we, as we follow you. Help us to meet needs out of a place of security, to serve one another out of a place of security and belonging. Help us to identify others and their giftings and how they can be used to serve one another, God. Help us, Lord, to be bold enough to say, this is my need. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And Jesus, I pray that we would experience you more and more. Today, tomorrow, this week. In Jesus' name.